0: Good morning. Is that loud enough for everybody? All right. Thank you uh, for the prayer. As uh, This is every now and then kind of thing, and uh, so I get somewhat nervous, uh, as as I think you all would. But uh, I'm thankful to be here. Uh, God's been so gracious to me um, and allow me to do this, to proclaim his word out here to all you today, uh, to all you beautiful-looking people. Um, Some good news. Uh, Yesterday, I was able to um, celebrate uh, my 11-year anniversary with my wife. Yes, sir. I have been the best husband. Man, I just, just so loving Uh, Man, I just listen so well. Uh, I I do all these things so good, right? Like, I'm just like, I'm the best. I'm the best husband I've ever... Dude, dude, I'm telling you, I'm the best. Now, laughter, right? We're laughing at that because we all know that's false. Um, Marriage is is tough. It's tough. You got two people... um, two different uh, perspectives, two different lives, two different everything, right? And so there's been a a, a mess, uh, somewhat uh, of a tug and pull time and time again all throughout these 11 years. Uh, A lot of good years, a lot of bad years. But nevertheless, um, I get to celebrate it. I get to celebrate it. She has been with me through all of the good and the bad things of my personality, and I am super thankful for that. Right? So we enjoy the good things that um, our spouses, if you are married, uh, we enjoy the good things, right, and, and the bad things, not so much. I mean, there's, there's even with marriage, there's, there's tragedy, right? There's, uh, I, I can, my wife can tell you, and I can tell you that there's uh, been, tragedy in our relationship. I haven't always been the model husband. Um, Tragedy is is tough, right? And I want to take this time uh, because it is 9-11. It's the anniversary, 21st anniversary of 9-11, which is really impactful to a lot of people. I mean, it, it was impactful to me. Uh, and I, I, I wasn't in New York at the time, and I, I, was, I remember where I was. But um, it, it, it was tough. I felt uh, connected to it. So I just, if we could just take a moment uh, where you are, just close your eyes and pray for the, the men, the women, the families, uh, everybody who was impacted. Uh, by 9-11. I feel like we can do that as a congregation. Like I said, where you are, just close your eyes and just pray um, for those families because I know they're still impacted today. Uh, We'll just take a moment and then I'll, I'll come back. Sorry if I cut off your prayer there. Uh, the Lord hears it. Um, and, you know, feel free today is a, is a time of remembrance of that. Um, just like my anniversary is a milestone, uh, you have 9-11. That's uh, it, it, it's a tough time, right? It's, it's hard to talk about, you know. It's, uh, you, you remember what you were doing. I know I remember what I was doing. I was in class, speech class, to be, be matter of fact. And, um. <clears throat> um it was impacting me, and then once once I seen everything fall, uh, unfold and how everything happened, I asked my, I started kind of looking and tugging through. Oh man, hold on, this what's what's really going on, right? And so so I kind of uh, later on in my years as I get the facts about what's going on, uh, people have different theories about what happened, what what transpired. Was it really the terrorists? Blah blah blah. Those things start to come up. You start to see how things unfolded. But it really doesn't matter, and this is why. I went to the museum. They have a museum up there in New York, pretty museum. It it was wonderful. And and my theories about what happened, it kind of made me a little bit uneasy. But there's a part in there, in that museum, where there's a picture of all the almost 3,000 people that died that was a very sobering moment. So all my theories about what happened didn't matter. What mattered to me in that moment was the tragedy. What's going on, you know? How are those families, what's going on? And and it still, like, it really affected me and I looked at it a little bit differently in that moment. Uh, Anything that I even cared about before that changed once I see those people. And so when we see tragedy, right, like it's, man, it's, it's, it's tough, right, because it puts everything in a different perspective. That life that you live, right, the life that you kind of walk through, that, those tragedies, they change something. They change, they change your perspective. People start, I mean, when you're in the midst of tragedy, what is it, like, what does it make you do? you just like, oh, yeah, it's okay. It's no. Nobody does that. Nobody does that, right? Panic. We get anxious. We get angry. Right? I think that's a big one, right? Anger is a big deal, especially when it comes to tragedy because you're looking at something else, and you're like, why would this happen? You try to control it. Right? Like, we we try to control our life. We we walk through life and we try to control it all the time. All the time we do that, and then tragedy happens, and then you're left with the fact that you can't control anything. That's just, just this is what it is. There's something going on, right? We act as if we live, like, for God, right? And then, but we really don't, and then when tragedy happens, you're asking questions just like that. God, where are you? What's going on? Why would you? do this. Right? I mean, we go through life all day long acting as if we're God. He's just kind of a, I'm going to put you right there. I'm going to put you right there. And then when I need you, I'm going to come worship you. That's what it looks like. Now, regardless of what I say, look at your life. You can't tell me. That that doesn't happen. It happens in my life, and that's not okay. Now, has anybody read The Hiding Place, you might read that. I got a good friend right here who uh, put, told my wife about it. Right, my wife buys the book, and then I um, read the book. What a what a great book! Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of a trailer. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil it, but but it's it's a great book, and and, and I want to use it today. It, um, so that we can look at suffering in a different light, right? We can, we can know who God is and know uh, that he's here, right? No matter what we're going through, no matter uh, the good times or the bad times, God's here, right? So on a different tragedy, and I hate that I have to go here, but this is reality, right? This is life. This is what happens. Um, about 80 years ago, uh, we got World War II, World War II is a time of, you know, Hitler, uh, Nazi Germany, they uh, Nazify all the places around them. They're they're trying to get this uh, Aryan nation um, focused on them, say, hey, this is what we want. We want to rid all of these Jews. We want to rid all of these people, uh, and we want this to be a pure race. That's what happens, Right? They go through, there's a secret police, Gestapo. They go through and they try to decimate and kill every Jew known to man. But Corey, uh, Corey Tim Boone, and her family are some watchmakers in Harlem, not Harlem, New York, not where the gangsters play, but Harlem, Netherlands. Okay? Harlem, Netherlands, this is a little spot. It's about, I don't know, about five hours away from Germany. And this watchmaker and this family are responsible for hiding Jews. They have a conviction. The Lord has, they are following the Lord, and they have a conviction. They say, hey, we've got to save these people. We can't allow, based off what we believe, for this to happen. We don't want people to die. We are going to sacrifice our lives knowing that they're coming for us if we hide these Jews. That's a pretty big sacrifice. But it's also a testament to the Lord and what he has done in their life. Uh, As a result of that, they save approximately 800 lives. And that's a lot of people, right? Uh, They get sent to Shavingen, which is a, a prison out there. Uh, once they get caught, because I'm I'm trying to give you the trailer. I don't want to give you the whole thing. It's still a good story. (laughs) I'm trying not to mess it up, but uh, give you all the details. But, you know, it's the part of the story that I want to use. And so they go to this prison uh, uh, as a family, uh, based on them getting caught for doing what they shouldn't have been doing, uh, at least to what the Nazis said. And... They go to this prison, and one thing that stuck out with me in the story is their dad's old. He's an older gentleman. He's probably, I think he's 80 at the time, somewhere around there. And the officer says, hey, this dude's old. Don't, don't send him to prison. He's about to die anyways. I just let him go. And then the officer says, hey, what are you going to do when you get back home? He says, well, I'm just going to be honest. I'm going to save some more people. <laughs> Throws them into prison, back into prison, and the, that's the rest of the story for him. Betsy and Corey, who are the daughters, Corey, who I'm talking about, who wrote the book, and then Betsy, they get sent to Ravensbrook Prison, where there's a bunch of women there. Um, they're, it, it's, it's, it's really rough, right? It, it's just a rough spot. Um, if, I don't know if you've ever been to prison, but their prison is a lot worse than our prison today. It, it's, it's not very sanitized. <laughs> it, it, it's just rough. And so they go there, and they have to go through all these checkpoints. Now, I'm not talking about airport checkpoints. I'm talking about people like, you know, every time. Checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint. And there's several checkpoints. But what Corey does is, is interesting. She prays to God and says, hey, if this is real, let your word, let your Bible get through these checkpoints. Right? So she's trusting that, oh, you know what? My faith is becoming real. I am trusting you, God. You make it happen. And what does he do? He makes it happen. All those checkpoints, Matter of fact, the woman right in front of her gets checked three times. And her sister who's behind her gets checked once, but she doesn't get checked at all. Is that a convenience? It just seems a little weird, right? She's holding this Bible right here, and she doesn't get checked. And and that in itself is crazy, right? There's something going on. Well, then, after that, <laughs> what a beautiful story. She gets into place in this a little small bunk. It's, I think it's made for like 140 people, but then they've got like 1,400 people in there. So it just shows you how tight it is. Okay, they're trying to get rid of all these people. She's right there. She notices there's something jumping around. Well, it's fleas. I don't know if you've ever seen fleas, but I've had, uh, the the dogs brought fleas into the house, and i just try to excommunicate them like that. They're a pest, right? It's kind of like bed bugs, you know? So if you've you've never had bed bugs, don't get them. Um, So these fleas, they're everywhere, right? And, And Betsy says, hey, be thankful in all things. And Corey's like, What? For fleas? No, I don't think so. So they kind of have a little tug when she says, "Yes, yes, be thankful for the fleas." Little did she know. After, after that, being able to share the gospel with all these girls or women with the Bible, little did they know when they found out that the fleas actually kept the guards from coming in. So be thankful, right? something's going on. That's not by luck or chance. Would you say that's by luck or chance? I don't think so. She's fulfilling her purpose, right? And she's trusting God in the midst of that. 96,000 deaths at Ravensbrook. That's a tragedy. Now, we're not as connected to that because it's 80 years ago. Right, We may not know, we may know somebody, uh, or grandparents or great-grandparents. We may know somebody, but we're not as connected with that story. But I believe in Coy's story and what we'll look at today in Acts, as Paul is being plotted to be killed against, that we'll see that there's a purpose and nothing's by luck or chance and that somebody is there, something's going on. So before we look at Acts 23, I want to kind of talk about what Paul, uh, uh, Luke last week and the week before, we talked about what Paul's kind of went through is a tragedy, right? He, he, he's beaten, he's, he's flogged, he's stoned. I mean, he's, it's just pitiful, right? Could you, and I know we can't really relate to that right now, right? But we don't get that. We don't We don't have to deal with that, right? We don't. Uh, In in our freedom, where we are, where we live, we don't have to deal with that. Now, you go somewhere else, maybe, right? So Paul goes from um, um, the hunter, right? We know Paul was, uh, before Acts, he was uh, out to uh, persecute Christians, kill them, prison them, do whatever he wanted to do with them. But now he is uh, the hunted. People are hunting him. People want him gone, The way they're treating Paul, if you read it it, it, it looks oddly familiar to what happened with Christ, right? So, so Paul's kind of, uh, this, this kind of a secondary show about what, what's already happened to Christ. Um, so in, in these scriptures, right, as, as I read them, I believe we'll see three things that are evident about God and that we can have hope and faith in, which, what I call the three P's. The three P's. God's providence, God's protection, and God's purpose. You know, I've coined that. So if you use it and you end up preaching a sermon, I want my royalties. Uh, uh, Luke even questioned me. He says, hey, hey, where'd you come up with this? Did you just steal this from somebody? <laughs> I'm just mess. <laughs> but, yeah, I was, I was in, you know, in Chattanooga, and, it, and God kind of, Popped it up, and I was like, man, that's, that's good. So I'm going to use that today. Now, first, I'm going to talk about God's providence for us. Okay? Um, providence in the dictionaries, it, it's uh, divine guidance or care, right? That's kind of, that's kind of the, the first definition of it. But, but I like another definition, the second one, and it's a timely preparation for future eventualities. I like that. Right, that that just sounds better to me, because even though the, the divine guidance and care, he uses a, a timely preparation. So it's not always uh, he uh, something that I remember when I was a kid, uh, when I was growing up in church, was a, a song, and it it was uh, he may not come when you want him, but he's right on time, and we you know. We, get a little crazy with that but that was a that was a good song right and it was true about God and I, I, it stuck with me today that was when I was younger so if we all could just go to acts 23 uh, we're going to start at um, 11 or 12 I'm sorry Now, we had seen that, that God had told Paul, because of what he wanted, he, he granted Paul the opportunity to go to uh, Rome. But uh, somebody has other aspirations for Paul, they want to get rid of him. All right. So we'll, I'll go ahead and read that, uh, starting in verse 12. Uh, When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink, till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. As we are... And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush, so he went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him. Who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man and charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Now we see here, as we talk about God's providence, it seems as if. God has provided a way for Paul to get out of this, right? It seems like he has used, which is Paul's family who doesn't get mentioned very much, he has used Paul's nephew in order to provide a way for him to get rid of this persecution, to go and fulfill his purpose of going to Rome. Now, we don't know how this happens, right? How does a nephew get into this conversation about how, uh, you know, about them um, plotting to kill Paul. Like, I think that's just weird. Like, how, how would he just get there? Uh, and it doesn't say, but it just, it's kind of like how you kind of heard through the grapevine, and how did he just get here? It's just weird to me. But I don't think Paul was surprised, right? Because up until this point, he has to trust God. Throughout all this mess, throughout all this persecution, he has to trust God. And so, I'm sure he had emotions. I'm sure he was worried and anxious and trying to figure out, hey, God, what are you going to do in this moment? What are you going to do? Um, I would be. I would be anxious. I'm sure you would be too. Like, can we trust God in this moment? Are you really here? Those would be questions that I would have. Um. I was watching a movie last night with my wife called 13 Lives, and there's a point in the story where um, the uh, boys, they're unsure, they're unsure what's going on, right, but, but they calm down and they're assured that somebody's going to come, right? And I feel maybe that's Paul in this moment. Somebody's somebody's gonna come, God's gonna come, right? Um, if we could, I'm gonna read out of Philippians four. Um, it, this letter to the Philippians, um, it, it they some people say that he wrote it during this imprisonment, but in his imprisonment in Rome is what I guess most people would agree with. But listen, listen to what Paul says. Uh, I'm going to actually start at verse um, 4. I I didn't tell them that, but I'm going to start at verse 4, and then I'll stop at 7. Rejoice in the Lord always, always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now I, I'm assuming I'm assuming that this is what um, Paul is feeling in this moment, right? He writes that to the Philippians. That means if he's wrote it, then he's he's lived it, right? I believe that Paul is trusting and patient with God's providence in this moment. Now I'm gonna read a quote from Paul Tripp that really really uh, exemplifies. Uh, the means of, of, of providence, of God's providence. He says, providence means that our sovereign God doesn't just decree what will happen and then sit passively above this world. Instead, God is an active participant in the world. He is the constant contact with the universe that he has made. He governs, sustains, affects, and controls. Now, that's scary, right? Is that scary? Because then there's questions there. God, why would you let this happen? Like we can we can oops sorry. We can see the full scope of this story. Right? We can see it. Uh, but in the midst of it, in the midst of our tragedy, sometimes we can't. So we have to rely on God, right? In the moment, so that later on. He can give us the full scope. We can understand at that moment that he has been there the whole time. When we deal with that part of it, right, we start asking questions. Um, it can kind of send us, because when we look at tragedy and we look at what's going on in the world, it it can kind of send us down a wrong dark road. A dark road, like, why would you? Why would you, right? I mean, there's this bitterness, bitterness, like anger and dissension, cynical. We're cynical. Like, I've been there. I've been there. I've, I've looked at things in my life, and I said, man, why? Why would you allow somebody to do that? Why would you allow that person, if you love me, Why would you let that person do that to me? Now, I'm sure I'm not the only one that feels that way, right? I'm sure you've came in with something that's happened to you. And you can't explain it and you don't know why. But God provides. What God um, has not provided, right, you question. It makes you bitter. But let's, let's look at it from a different way. Hasn't he given you breath? Hasn't he allowed you to live here? Hasn't he, uh, isn't he the sustainer of what's going on in your life? You don't get to pick and choose, right? He gives you life. He gives you breath. He provides. And we're going to look at next is God's protection. Now, the Jews took an oath. Right? That's a, that's a big deal. I, I know when we take oaths, uh, we say we're going to do something. We don't really do it. You know, we, we're, we're a fickle people. I'm, I'm fickle sometimes. Right? So I'm not just pointing the finger at you. We um, Sometimes we don't follow through. Right? But these, these Jews, man, uh, if you look at, I'm going to look at uh, numbers. Uh, God's commanded these Jews, hey, these, this is what a vow looks like. This is what a vow looks like. It goes to Numbers 30. You don't have to turn there. It goes to Numbers 30, 1 and 2. And this is what he says Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So, these Jews have taken an oath to kill this dude. So based off what they said, right, in Numbers and based off the actual vow, uh, they have to follow through with this because they've taken an oath. So they're going to do, even subjecting themselves to uh, no food. Can you imagine? No food until you get this done? If there's no food, brother, I'm getting it done. I want some food. Give me some fried chicken. Now I'm just playing. I don't know it's a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> so we. So <laughs> I did not come up here to be a comedian. All right. As a result of the dissension from the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, now, this is going back just a little bit in the story. If you go back to last week, uh, you. Um, The Sanhedrin, they they want Paul dead. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in any of that stuff, right? So they want want Paul dead. And so these Jews who have taken an oath know that they have permission. Hey, we're going to get rid of this dude. I got permission to get rid of this cat. He's done, right? But then we're going to read in, let's go back to Acts uh, verse 23. Then he called uh, two of the centurions and said, get ready, 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Dude, you talking about protection. You got 40 dudes here that are, I guess, willing to starve their death." in order to kill Paul, but hold on, hold on. Something's happening right here. As a result of what the nephew says, he goes and the tribune, Claudius, says, all right, we're going to protect this dude. All right, so we're going to bring 470 protectors to this 40, right? Come on now, that's not even a, not even a fight. And so something's happening here. Right? God's doing something. Something's happening. That's just not coincidence. Not to me. And it's also worth noting, the same dude that's protecting him, this tribune, is the same one that was trying to flog him earlier. Look at how God uses somebody who doesn't even know what's going on with Paul, who doesn't even know why he's doing what he's doing, and he uses him to protect him. Why? Because I think God does what he wants all right? How has God protected you in your life? I mean, just think for a minute, dude. I, I, man, I got several stories where God has protected me in my life, and I've seen it, and it's a beautiful thing. And it sucks in the moment because I was probably I was being uh, not, not so good. I was being not so good. Think about through all Scripture. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how, how God protects them in a fire. Now, I, I, I can't even fathom how that happens. But I do believe the Bible is true. I do believe the stories in it are real. But if you go to that story, you look at it, you're like, how did this happen? Because I know, touch a stove, that's hot. And you're not getting, you know, you touch it, there's a burn, son. But they're able to go in a furnace and not get burned. That's just weird, right? You can't fathom that. But God's protecting them. Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down to me. And they say, no, no, no. We'll die. We'll die. God shows them. He protects them. And Nebuchadnezzar has no choice but to say, well, maybe this dude is real. Then you got Joseph. Right, The harm done to Joseph, brothers selling him to slavery, like, come on, bro. And then God makes him this um, under the Pharaoh, and it's this story. It's like, dude, how does that happen? Is that by luck or chance? It doesn't seem that way. So if, as we see the whole scope of things, we see that something's going on. Something's happening here. Somebody is protecting them, and I think I know who it is. All right, I'm going to finish off with uh, uh, verse 26 and 27. Uh, Claudius Lysias, I said that wrong. To his excellency, the governor Phoenix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Now, this same Claudius was the same Claudius that was about to flog him, as I said earlier. Now, he is. This dude is acting like we would. We're trying to take credit for something that we didn't do. <laughs> you ever done that? Everybody can shake their head, yes. I just want. We try to take credit for what God's done. Come on, God's doing this, right? He's protecting us. We can't take credit for anything. We can't even take credit for the breath that we breathe. How can we take credit for anything else? God uses us, right, and protects us in order that we would be different, right? He, we, can, we can show people and we can live his protection, like his protection over us. We can show people that. We can proclaim that to people. And so then, then as we see that we can proclaim that for God's purpose, the last P, God's purpose. Now, God, what a beautiful story. If you go to the beginning of the story, you see that we are in perfect relationship with the Lord. Adam and Eve are one. They're walking with God in the cool of the day. Sipping on orange juice, you know, eating some fruit, hanging out, just a beautiful relationship. But then we mess it up, right? Our fathers, Adam and Eve, they mess it up. Uh, the, the purpose to be fruitful, to multiply, to, to uh, subdue the earth, all that gets tainted, right? It gets tainted. It shows in our life, too, right? We are sinful. We are sinful human beings. But in God's purpose and God's plan for us, he wants us to bring him back to himself. All right? So then he has this beautiful plan. This beautiful plan that works perfectly in his in his providence, in his protection, he brings his son. Right? His son who we need to be saved dies for our sin. The sins that we have committed, God had a plan, had a purpose, right? And He uses His Son in order to fill His purpose and ours. That's a beautiful story. I mean, we're broken. Without Christ, we're broke. We have nothing to hope for, there is nothing going to save us. We are a mess. Period. But God uses his beautiful son who is unblemished to die for us. Now, that just gives me chills, right? That I can look at God's providence, God's protection and his purpose, and he's used me. And he's using you. I promise if we trust in these truths about God, that you will live a life that is fulfilling, is loving, is caring in a mess. It's a mess of beautiful messes, I would love to call it. That mess that came as a result of my marriage to my wife, that mess uh, with your relationships, with your kids, with all this going on, God has provided a way that you can look different and live different. Now that, my friend, is worthy. That is worthy to be praised. That this man, this man has intricately used the minute and mundane things of your life to bring himself to you. And if you aren't a believer today, today, and God has softened your heart to his gospel and how much he loves you, Accept it. And if you are a believer today, use it. Use that freedom that God has given you. You are now free from sin and you can move on. Not for your purpose, but his. You can't protect yourself. You can't provide for yourself. So there's only one thing to do, is to run to the protector, The one who has softened your heart to his love and his care. And this shouldn't be a chore. It shouldn't. And if it is a chore, maybe that heart hasn't been changed. Maybe there's something that God needs to happen. Maybe a tragedy. Maybe a tragedy. I don't know. I've I've said this up here before. A friend of mine, um, I'm walking with him through the gospel, and he And I tell him a week before um, I had prayed for him for pain. And then pain comes, and then I tell him what I did, and he says, dude, are you serious? (laughs) Why would you do that? Because as a result of tragedy, right, God shows himself more clearly. He's done it in my life. I'm sure he's done it in yours. And it's hard. I mean, we've got a really good life, right? Like, we live here in America. We got a really good life. But there are some things, it's hard. Dude, man, you got to meet my son. You got to meet my daughters. Man, that's hard. I mean, it's hard. But man, God has used those messy children in order for me to look like his son. Now, that. Is worthy to be praised. So let's all agree there's room to repent here. Because we aren't always believing in these truths about God, His providence, His protection, and His purpose. We ain't always believing in that. Let's agree. All right, there's room to repent there. I'm going to turn to the Father. You are believers, so believe. Believe that he's good enough. Believe he's sufficient. Believe what he's done has given you freedom. Believe it. Go mess up. I know Luke challenged us to go and just share the gospel with somebody through a relationship. Mess up. You may not have everything right. You may not know everything, but that's okay. Because God does. And he's going to use all that. He's going to use all that for his glory. And we cannot mess these plans up. Nobody can. Right? He's got a purpose. He's got a plan. And we can't mess it up. We can't. I've, I've tried. Ask my wife. I've tried to mess it up. I can't. I can't. He has protected me in areas that, dude, I can't even begin to tell you. If you want to know. Uh, just hit me up. <laughs> I'll let you know. It's bad. I mean, it's bad. I'm a mess, right? But he has protected me. So, as I close, I'm going to go to Job 42, and I'm just going to give us some assurance that we can't mess this up. Okay. If you ever, if you get time, read the book of Job. Uh, it's all about suffering. Uh, it's all about. Uh, questions about God and why he does what he does. Um, It's a very good story to see the whole scope of things and how we need to trust the Lord and that we're just broken. This is Job's confession and repentance. Verse 1, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I do not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I do not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust. Ashes. Man, that's beautiful. Job sees through the suffering, through the mess, that God cares and he loves him. And who is he to think that he provides or he protects and has a purpose? God has a purpose. And it's our privilege to walk in that purpose. It's our privilege privilege get that get that that's our privilege don't worry don't worry God's got this not you trust in his sovereign will for what he wants because it's not about you Let us praise the Lord with all that we have as we walk out. Whatever you've came in here with, leave it all at the feet of Jesus. Feel free to mess up and proclaim the gospel through relationship and the people that God's given you favor with wherever you are. In any spot, no matter where you are, do that.